This is Days of Films Past, a podcast dedicated to exploring the legacy of cinema. Each and every week, we discuss a different movie that made a lasting impression on viewers like us. I'm James Kennedy. And I'm Ellie Edwards. And this week, we'll be discussing Yojimbo, starring Toshiro Mifune, written and directed by Akira Kurosawa, as well as A Fistful of Dollars, starring Clint Eastwood and directed by Sergio Leone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. My very first Clint Eastwood movie outside of the Gran Torino. That's fucking me up in the head just thinking about that. I know it. That's why this... I'm uh, finally able to get my pop my cherry on the Clint Eastwoods because I feel like at the end the Gran Torinos. I mean, I didn't really get to feel what everyone well, talks about that... when it comes to Clint. Well, I mean, that's a really good movie though. So I mean, if it's your first. That's not a, a that's not a bad for intro to Clint. Yeah. But it's still weird that you've made it this far, and that's the only one. Yeah, no. My siblings were the ones that introduced me to the movies, and then my mom's. When so you you're telling to... me TJ fucked up? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. BB, he didn't have any of the spaghetti westerns, and this is the first of the spaghetti westerns, right? That we're the, the big the big one, like yes, in 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 movie history. Okay, so it wasn't the first one, but it's the first one that gained traction anywhere outside of its regular market. So, like, in Italy and Europe, they love Westerns, mm-hmm. and, and they they loved them early on, but eventually, you know, Hollywood, the Westerns started dying out as being, like, a big draw, so they're making less of them. Well... Was that with the John Waynes? The John Waynes, mm-hmm. and then that kind of left the market open for, uh, in uh, Italy... And for other markets in Europe, but in Italy where they're really big, they're, you know, they're usually doing like sword and sandal epics, you know, like Roman gladiator type movies. And they're like, you know what? Let's start making our own Westerns. And they started making them with their own flair. And they were like lower budgets for the most part, you know, and they're made for, you know, Italian audiences and European audiences. But when this one was made, Sergio Leone made it. And we'll get into the, some more of the details, but yeah, no, this one blew up, yeah, and uh, made it a made spaghetti westerns a worldwide thing. Yeah, so this one was shot in the U.S. No, Sergio Leone didn't shoot a movie that had any filming in the United States until his fourth western, which was a Once Upon a Time in the West, did some shooting hmm. in the U.S. We'll get into it. Yeah, okay. there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of cool little stories there, but. People might be wondering, two movies, but why? <laughs> Samurai movie in a Western. Mm-hmm. Some people definitely get it if they know what Yojimbo is, but what some people might not know, um, most do, but some people that are listening to us because they like us, not because they're into uh, Spaghetti Westerns or Samurai movies. A Fistful of Dollars is a, I'm not going to say a shot-for-shot remake, but as close as, like, as, as close as you can get. It's pretty good. Well, yeah. I mean, it hits all the same story beats. They mo- they move some stuff around, but the story plays out in very similar fashion. Yeah. Which just a few things change, but the pacing and everything, it's just very, it's so close, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. So my favorite samurai movie is Yojimbo, and my favorite Western series started with A Fistful of Dollars. That's not my favorite Western because... The I actually the good the bad and the ugly, which is the third one from this series, is my favorite western, and the second one, 
is arguably a better movie than this one too. Really? So a fistful of dollars and then there's a, a couple of dollars more? For a few dollars more. <laughs> For a few <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which you said was uh, Quentin Tarantino's. I'm trying like, did he say it's his favorite movie or did he say it's the best directed movie of all time? Either way, I could agree with either statement. And it's, all it of is them were Sergio? All, yeah, all three were Sergio Leone. Dang. He directed, I want to say five Westerns total and produced some as well. Yeah, so he directed five. Yeah. Which I love them all. I wasn't always a huge fan of Once Upon a Time in the West, but that one just definitely grows on you because it is very well done. Okay. And we'll get into that one. Yeah. Oh, we're oh, watching it. Okay. We're watching, we're watching all of his Westerns. What about, uh, okay, so you, you said your Jimbo is your favorite. Yes. Yeah. You, I mean, come on with it. <laughs> okay. So I, I actually watched a fistful of dollars many times before ever hearing that it was a remake of Yo Jimbo. And once I found out it was a remake of Yo Jimbo, I'm like, I got to watch Yo Jimbo. Right. So this was back before you could stream stuff. So I had to, uh, it wasn't available for at Blockbuster. So I ordered it. Uh, Amazon bought a DVD and I own like four different versions. I How think. long ago was this? Uh, probably early to mid 2000s. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I, all right. So, Fistful Dollars, though, I've had every version but one of all of its American releases since um, it was in a VHS box set my dad bought from Sam's Club when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, so my dad bought those um, from Sam's Club. Nice little VHS box set, and I, so I grew up watching those. Like, I mean, I think I was, that came out in the late 90s, probably that box set, if I'm remembering right. So not a little, little kid, but enough that I've been watching this movie for a very long time. Yeah. And when you're younger, you know, you, you like different things. So, like, when I started watching them, Fistful of Dollars was my favorite one, but then, you know, mellow out a bit. You're like, you could deal with how long. Yeah. Uh, the Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is. You're like, ah, oh, it's such a good movie. But problem with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and we'll get into it when we do that one. They really just like fucking up and like, like we're gonna make the longest version possible of this movie. It's like Sergio Leone, the director, didn't even put that shit in his cut, his international cut. Why are you adding it? Yeah. In fact, it didn't even have like. Com like proper audio and some of the parts that they added back in so it's like you got like a old ass uh <laughs> old ass actors playing like doing their younger selves voices and it just sounds weird interesting so we'll get into that later okay yo jimbo though got into watching that and we can get into this part now but like people that haven't seen both or if you have seen both and you're just not into samurai movies i'll start by saying a fistful of dollars is one of my favorite movies of all time it is easily Easy to argue, though, that Yojimbo is a superior movie. Yeah. It's more competently made. It's more, more attention to detail. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But I will say for Sergio, Sergio Leone and his series, like, this is like the first movie he made where he like had a little bit more free reign. Mm -hmm. And it was his first Western, and he was still early in his career because he only had one full director job before, take, before doing this movie. And it was low budget. And it's crazy that they made this work. So, wow. and I mean, Akira Kurosawa, when he did Yojimbo, was well into his career. He's already like had he already found international fame as a director, like eleven years prior with uh, Rashomon, like right. where he was like already like a Western name, like for eleven years. So he directed a lot of movies. So at this point in his career, of course he's gonna be able to make something like this. But the fact that like each subsequent movie that uh, Sergio Leone made. 
just get better, better, better. So I will, favorite Japanese director is Akira Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa. I will yeah. say that overall, I think, especially for like percentage wise, Sergio Leone kills him. Yeah. How amazing his, the movies that he did make. He didn't make nearly as many films. That's crazy. It's funny that Yojimbo was in 1961 and then he came out with Fistful of Dollars in 1963. So he didn't even wait that long to. Well, yeah, it. I was like, and, I, and then I was like, was it, did it come out in 63 or did they film in 63 or did the American release come out in 64? Those dates are all messed up for me. Yeah, I, I was doing a little research on what, like, why it was like so close in in releases it was because i guess sergio leone was trying to the copyrights and stuff like that going so they say they tried to get it mm -hmm. they said that they sent him a letter yeah they did <laughs> unverifiable in my in the back of my mind i'm like they didn't you even just, try they they didn't. Didn't. no this all right so this movie wasn't supposed to be huge akira kurosawa was never supposed to see it mm -hmm. all right so this is basically They'd have multiple productions at the same time. So this one was like the back end that wasn't supposed to be successful even. It was just kind of like they're, they're going to take advantage of the money that they got sunk into this movie. Mm -hmm. And they're going to use some of the sets and some of the, some of the other stuff for this over here as well. Ennio Morricone, the composer. Mm -hmm. Composer of all of his westerns and I think everything that he's after this film. Well, some of the music wasn't even like written for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then they had a long career. I mean, Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Quentin Tarantino bit off of it a little bit, huh? Completely. Completely, right? He would eventually come to use Ennio Marconi in his yeah. movies. He yeah. did the score to uh, Hateful Eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Favorite film composer of all time. He died earlier this year. No way. Yeah. Not from COVID, though. Man, but 2020's been taking out legends. <laughs> I know. Well, he, right, so he died the same day as Charlie Daniels. Oh. And like everybody knows Charlie Daniels that knows him is for like uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I always remembered him from a really terrible safety video about hearing protection that we watched when I first started working up in the oil fields. So like, I never really liked Charlie Daniels. Mm -hmm. So I was a lot more sad about <laughs> Ennio Morricone dying. He was talking about Charles da Charlie Daniels in, in, in a meeting. I was like, yeah, but Ennio Morricone, that's way worse. Right. They, they just looked at me like I was an asshole because they didn't know who I was talking about. <laughs> so... We're all over the place, but I like it. Oh, yeah. So we didn't really actually come in with a plan on this. We just knew we were going to cover two movies at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because if you've watched both these movies, you really should. Yeah. Because you're going to be talking about a lot of the same stuff and the influences back and forth. Toshiro Mifune, the mm -hmm. star of Yojimbo, he's probably the most famous Japanese actor of all time. Definitely the most famous in his lifetime. I've seen that. Yeah, I feel like I've seen his face, even the Yojimbo cover, the, the his Yojimbo face. Yeah. I think it's probably like Around, it's, it's like a pop culture. Yeah. So I get, I can see that. I feel like I seen him in another movie somewhere. I don't know. It's like a Ronin or something. I don't know. I gotta. Well, yeah, he he played he lots plays, of samurais. He played lots of. I mean, that's a that's a especially when, in his years that was a very popular genre. I mean, it's not as popular these yeah, days, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very popular in movies, and that's where he got famous. Mm -hmm. Was he did sixteen or seventeen movies with Kira Kurosawa over sixteen or seventeen years. They had a falling out in like 65. They Dang. started working together in 48. So yeah, 17 years. Wow. And yeah, man, the, you can't really think of one without thinking of the other. Mm -hmm. they, there's so much overlap between their careers and their success. I uh, I even did a little even more backing on Yojimbo. That's not even considered a original from Akira though. He kind of bit off of uh, what was the, the Glass Key, which was in 1942. Was it was the were those Dash Hammett Hammett books? I think it was a book. 
I think it, it was. was. I'm yeah. just trying to remember if it was the Dashiell Hammett book or. Uh, yeah, so just look up whoever wrote Red Harvest. Yeah, it was. Actually, it was a movie. They might have made a movie. Yeah, they made a movie of it. If Ron Tomatoes did a. <laughs> reading on it well yeah like a few movies uh, if it is dashiell ham it falls right into the crime noir genre yeah 1942 and i guess it was starring janet henry ed Beaumont. <laughs> i don't know who those are yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't we don't know how much if that is true but he took a lot of influence everybody takes a lot of influences mm -hmm. but what he got from that was uh basically and this is a popular amongst many genres you got two warring factions with one guy in the middle you know mm -hmm. and yeah. that was that was the takeaway from that yeah, and yeah. that's what he used um he also used some imagery from red harvest which i mean we get into like akira kurosawa's huge fans and like uh francis ford coppola and much bigger with george lucas but george lucas i can't remember if it was when they were filming star wars or the sequel empire but i think it was star wars just to like, uh, sometimes when they do movies, they'll like have a fake name, you know, so mm -hmm. people don't know what's going on with the production. Right. And uh, he used Red Harvest because it was one of Akira Kurosawa's influences, and Akira Kurosawa was a huge influence on him, including the it's movie like, The Hidden Fortress, which yeah. was what inspired Star Wars. That's dope. I mean, everybody's inspiring everybody. Yeah, There's no it, such it, thing it, as originality. No. It's how you use it. That's the mm -hmm. original part. It's, yeah. People it's are still in toys, uh, telling stories to each other for thousands of years, man. There's yeah. a lot of... There's a lot of overlap. Interpretation. All right, so this no, this is a perfect example of it. This movie has all the same beats as the other one. You know, mm -hmm. Yo Jimbo. They took all the same story beats, all the same key ingredients, but they completely different movies. Yeah, but it's, it's the same. Yeah, you could equally it's enjoy watching cultures. these. Yeah, and you could watch them back to back, and it's mm -hmm. not like you're you're not going to be bored. Yeah, and that's I think that's like the great point of it is. I gotta appreciate you for the beginning. When we started this, you told me to watch Fistful of Dollars first to get a little. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I watched, I was able to watch Fistful of Dollars first and then then I was able to watch Yo Jimbo and I was able to dissect Yo Jimbo a little bit better because it was like letting letting uh, Fistful of Dollars breathe a little bit. And then when I watched Yo Jimbo, it was like a, I inhaled everything, <laughs> everything that I wanted out of it. And I was like, damn, Yo Jimbo is dope. I think it was good to watch A Fistful of Dollars first if you haven't seen either mm -hmm. because you're going to go in and you're really going to enjoy it. Yeah. But I figured, and I think I was right, you're going to like Yojimbo more, but right. it's easier to realize that you like it more when you watch the same story right before it mm -hmm. and then you watch the same thing again. You're like, but it still just kind of yeah. ropes you in. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Yojimbo is the shit. I actually watched it three times. Um, Fistful Dollars I only watched twice, but uh, I got you get yeah, like you said in our previous conversation, it's like you get something new every time with your Jimbo. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Fistful of Dollars, but with your Jimbo, it's like you learn the dynamics of each, and we'll get into it of how how uh he carries himself and the there's there's a, a certain social mannerism that I guess is Japanese culture that is used with comedy that makes it so much more real. It's like, it's so good. Let's let's break down one more thing. Like, so, firmly, A Fist of Dollars is a Western, obviously, but it's an action movie. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to call it a thriller, but it's an action movie. Mm -hmm. a, little bit, a little bit of a weird type of espionage, but it's, firmly, it's an action movie. It's violent. 
It's more gritty. intense too. Yeah. Yojimbo is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a samurai comedy. It's it meant is. to be a comedy. It's a black comedy. It's a morality tale, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I've watched this movie so many times, but for the first time ever, actually both these movies, because we're doing this. Yeah. Um, my second viewing of each one, I watched with commentaries. And I've never done that before for these because it's just like certain movies I'm into it, certain t- movies that like you, I usually, you want to do the people that are, that made it. That's, I'm more interested in like the nuts and bolts type of stuff, you know, when it comes to commentary, like the, just the problems they ran into on set or just some anecdotal stuff <laughs> that I find interesting. Yeah. But like if you want, if it's classics, it's usually like historians, film historians, which it was, mm-hmm. but they did have some, they, they had some cool stuff. I guess the nice part about the commentary portion though, is because it just gives you a chance to really zone out on the imagery when mm-hmm. you're not completely pay attention to the historian talking yeah and for both movies but especially yojimbo mm-hmm. so much detail went into every little just bit every scene every every everything yeah so <laughs> much detail like and you just really can zone in on it but what i know what i caught from the the commentary i listened to is like it was talking about how he he said it he staged it like a play and i never thought about it like that before and watching it now i can't not think about it because so like Hitchcock was known for his like extreme framing and just planning every shot so meticulously. Right. And you watch a movie like Rear Window where it's, it just takes place in this apartment. Like he basically like an apartment building complex whole set was made just to kind of like plan out every shot and how everything related to each other. And like this movie, I feel blows that out of the water. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're in you when you're in the inn, you know, and you get the views of the whole like the whole town from the, those shuttered windows yeah and the way you got like a solid beautiful widescreen yeah cinematography but then when when he plans it it goes basically to a little square box of what actual you'll be looking through windows mm-hmm. and you just got this gorgeous like deep black and white detail on the sides but all the action and live stuff is nice little square like a it it changed formats I, I without changing formats I get, you, I get what you're saying and all of that was just planned mm-hmm. and and framed and you'll be there'll be layers of imagery like there'll be like a scene inside of a house but you're all also watching outside the house you're watching him drink water and there's yeah. just the line of sight that catches everything all the way through and everything going around the movement of somebody weaving talking to a farmer and mm-hmm. then him in the background drinking waters it's crazy like yeah. it's crazy how much he plans out like the convers like I remember that scene. The conversation was the main focus was their conversation, but you see, you 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 can't like ignore the main character in the background, and he used that in the end of the scene too with uh, what Goji hanging, mm-hmm. and then you see him in the back. It's like he's the main focus, but then you see also the main character. So he used a lot of the framing mm-hmm. with the to keep the. I don't know if it was to get that angle or was it to keep it was, the focus on it was the bo- character? Like, both like you yeah. you could watch it both ways yeah, that was dope like you like sometimes when i want to watch it i'm paying attention to one part and then the next i'm part paying to the other and then sometimes i'll be bouncing back and forth and it's just the fact that you can do that and there's so much to try to absorb in each shot that was next crazy. level that was next level for sure and it was shot with anamorphic gl- lenses you know to get that nice widescreen yeah. image i don't even I don't know if they had to use other camera tricks, but that deep of focus with having all that in focus, and mm-hmm. maybe it looks even better because you know they when they did the transfer to Blu-ray, they brought out more right. of the detail. But I don't like not a lot of people could pull that off, and it takes a lot, 
of forethought That's and crazy. production design to have to set up an entire set where you could just have all of it right there and yeah. so much going on and that's why this like it's kind of set up like a plague you're like yes that was a key ingredient i mean we get into yeah. key ingredients but that was definitely one of the reasons why yo jimbo just spoke more than to me was because of his little intricacies with it and well i mean because right, so. it was black and white too so you kind of feel like you lost a little bit of the of it but you, you didn't you didn't you it was a plan yeah i, I love i love black and white movies if they're done well if they're not done well, I'd rather be watching. No, this is the movie. best black and white movie I've ever watched. Same. Yeah. I mean, I really like um, Casablanca, but this blows the fuck Casablanca out of the water. Even the blood was so like, like when they with the use of blood in there, it was like way better than Fistful of Dollars. Just use of they didn't even have. I don't think they even used blood. Maybe they did. <laughs> oh, yeah, they did. No, they used paint. <laughs> so, if done well, black and white just the contrast so much more dynamic and this one was done so well like i've seen behind the scenes pictures and it's weird mm. like it's weird to see that his kimono is actually green yeah you know yeah it's it's my perfect black and white movie mm -hmm. and i have a lot of black and white movies this is my perfect black and white movie and there's so much detail and if you plan the detail right a higher level of contrast yeah it just looks so good and one it's thing true. it's like it's like, true if you're not if you're not looking for it you don't even realize that it's weird the way they lit it. They lit it to be dynamic, high black and white, which was not natural for the lighting sources that crazy. they would have back then. Because candlelight isn't going to cause as crazy sharp shadows mm -hmm. as like what you're seeing on indoor scenes in this movie, especially at nighttime. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was clear even at nighttime, and even in the daytime, it almost felt like. You almost forgot it was black and white in the daytime. Remember when I told you, when you said, oh, I'm going to watch it again. I was like, this time, pay attention to the black and white cinematography while you're watching it. Yep, definitely did. All right, so here's the thing. My kid was messing with the TVs earlier this year. <laughs> so when I got back home from work, I had to go back in and uh, change some settings around. Uh -huh. And basically, I just turned like everything off because you know if you reset some stuff it, they turn a bunch of stuff on your tv you know like this reduction anti-flicker and mm -hmm. motion control whatever bullshit and it's been fine since i did that but i watched this movie and there's so much high contrast fine detail that i had to actually go in and turn on it's called mosquito noise reduction and i never need it but for like this movie on a blu-ray i'm like i gotta go in uh, and turn on this because it's just that when, when if you have like a bunch of fine black and white lines and there's like just kind of any type of moon it's just a flicker you know uh -huh. there's just so much detail in this movie that i had to turn that on and i i never noticed and, and anything else though i'm like i'm not noticing that i need it that's funny yeah so that was that was definitely uh one of the key ingredients in it so i don't know i just feel like uh it was more it was not cinematography it was even the it was well written yes the dialogue like i said it was like quotes everyday life kind of thing <laughs> love that shit <laughs> so like and that's something that sergio leona movies never had as much of as mm -hmm. the, you're gonna find with him and he i'd say he's probably a lot more famous in japan than kurosawa was because i guess like kurosawa was never never as famous in japan as he was abroad mm. so otsu he did a lot more slice of life stuff a lot of japanese movies are, are like that you know They're, the quotes feel like they could be placed anywhere and make sense you know yeah yeah <laughs> even the comedy in it had me laughing hell a lot like there was a scene in there that where he's like beaten up and then he goes and then he goes and he's like goji was looking at him after he was all beaten up he's like <laughs> i forgot what he said but he said i know i'm a sight but stop staring at me and help me out i was like 
This is modern day comedy right here. So it's, it's like the Bible the script that he written, wrote in this is like, you can get something and use it even to this day is hilarious. Actually, it's the, what was said directly after that is one of my favorite comedic moments. And I'm like, I just, every single time I'm so weird that it doesn't feel out of place in the movie. It just, it seems too funny for 1961. Like it didn't, like it didn't seem like a movie of its time, but it's, he was talking about, yeah, we look, he looks like he's dead. And he's like, Oh, a few days rest, I'll be, I'll be good as new. And he smiles, and he's like, he's "It's worse when worse. It, it makes it worse when you smile." Yeah. And then he, then he collapses. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, that's a good one too. What yeah. about the music though? The music for Yojimbo, you can. It was made for it, and you can tell it was. It, it was, was. The music had its own comedic timing. Yeah, it did. It was a. Uh, it, it had its uh, pickups and. It played music because I didn't really pay attention to it until like there was a like those silent parts where you it just had the frame of uh, the main character Sanjuro, and uh, I paid attention to that because I wanted to listen to how the music was used because the music was a big factor in Fistful of Dollars. I felt more than it was in Yojimbo, and that feel like yeah, maybe it's because I've seen him so many times. Like, and knowing that the music wasn't always made, the music is for a fistful of dollars is like it's epic yeah and it's more epic it than the movie like, is you can hear it in your ears after the we watch the movie i can mm -hmm. still hear that sound and oh well the music all right so the music from in any three of those movies is recognizable to mm -hmm. many people that you haven't even seen the movies yeah. like it's it's famous they're amazing scores but to me like the music from a fistful it's like more grand than oh, the actual yeah. movie that it's along with and I'm like, I don't want somebody listening to this and thinking that I'm talking uh -huh. down about this movie. I love this movie. And the fact that they were able to throw it together like they did and make something so great is crazy to me. Yes, he's very... Uh, he, uh, he used uh, the music in that way. Did he, is he known for using music like that? Well, he has a long collaboration with the composer. Or is this just a Western... Is that a no. Western... Um, somebody can correct us in the comments if I'm wrong, but no, like Sergio Leone was definitely his own thing and he mixed in his own stuff. But I love all the Dollars Trilogy's yeah. music, but some of the guitar work in Once Upon a Time in the West, like just some, uh, some electric guitar, just the way it was mixed in mm -hmm. to some of the dramatic scenes, you're like, oh, like just the tension builder, like, oh, and okay. then when you get to the last movie, which the last Western he did was a uh, duck, you sucker. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Classic title. Yeah, so it's it's about uh, Irish Irish uh, terrorists working with Mexican revolutionaries. Okay. So just <laughs> content wise, it was my favorite idea for a movie. Yeah. And when you, when you're younger, you could you can coast a little bit further with ideas than 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 execution. Yeah. But yeah, it's like my least favorite now, but it's still really good. Mm -hmm. The the music isn't nearly as good as the other ones. What was I gonna say? You, we're talking about your Jimbo music compared to. Well, all right, so. Like it was tailor made for every scene, basically. Yeah. You know the the action and the music are timed together. Like mm -hmm. that's like how deep of a level a lot of it went. Like including like footsteps of like side characters going downstairs. Yeah. Know? And then multiple people had their own kind of little themes, you know, or groups of people had their own theme. Yeah. And it just everything was played for a nice comedic effect, <laughs> even though there is moments of intense violence and action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like. Because there's so many different, like, there's serious characters and there's, like, these goofy, like, the, the brother Inosuke or uh, Inochi, the little chubby one with the unibrow. 
Like it's it, the music has to change up <laughs> between those two, or else it doesn't make it what it is with the characters. Yeah. So yeah, it it definitely helped. That was a definitely benefit for him. Yes, he's very uh... special. <laughs> <laughs> but he's needed. He's necessary. He's like yeah, that one brother. Mm-hmm. But. The... <laughs> We should get to, uh, there's no time to get beat by beat the movies like we might, but we should definitely talk about that uh, scene <laughs> later, though. Okay. Ah, fuck it. We're all over the place. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> after uh, Sandro has just the, he's he's been beat to a pulp, and it happens to both characters in both mm. movies, but he's beat to a pulp, and he's having, uh, in, it's a coffin like a regular, like a, a a Western coffin in a fistful of dollars, him getting hauled out of town in, mm-hmm. and in this and this one it's like like a barrel of a coffin. I don't know what the, <laughs> it's like a barrel, but so the uh, the coffin maker disappears when the when the when the shit gets crazy, yeah, what the hell? and so there's three brothers that are one set of villains out of two, but the dumb brother he's well get him to help you. He's like no, he's like just try it. And he's like, he gets he gets this uh, idiot to help him by by uh, telling him like, oh, are you afraid of ghosts? <laughs> I was like, when I hear about ghosts, it makes me it makes me strong. <laughs> Not to be called a, a wimp, he helped him carry. That was hilarious. He was supposed to be trying to find him, and he helped he helped carry him to safety. And then he's like, don't you have to find somebody? He's like, oh, my brother's gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> my brother's gonna beat me. That's hilarious. Oh man, only that only that scene could have worked with that guy. Yeah, it's it's weird how like how different all the characters are, mm-hmm. but they all work within the same yeah, framework. Does, you know, it's huh? just weird. <laughs> it's definitely weird. Uh, Inokichi, and it says Ushitora's rotund brother. <laughs> oh, want to skip back to what we do at the beginning? Yeah. All right, so you know we normally do a summary breakdown of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I have two here from IMDb. A crafty ronin comes to town to, comes to a town divided by two criminal gangs and decides to play them against each other to free the town. That's from from Kenneth Krisholm of IMDb. And then we have a wandering gunfighter plays two rival families against each other in a town torn apart by greed, pride, and revenge. And that's from JGP three five five three at excite.com. <laughs> IMDb user. So those work well for each one. Mm-hmm. But you could just as easily have said something that counted for both of them. Yeah. A traveling warrior plays two rival gangs against each other. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about the difference between these two characters? Because they both work in both these movies, and you could interchange them, but they're both very different takes. Yeah. Let's get on the, yeah, on the, the, it's pretty common. The wandering savior type person. But if you look at a fistful of dollars, that's like firmly in the anti hero mm-hmm. category, you know? It's like, he doesn't want to be a hero. Yeah. He has heroic traits, but that's not his primary motivation no. in anything. Yeah. It might take over in the right situation, but he, when he's doing all this, he's doing it because he wants to make some money. Yeah. You look at uh, Sanjuro, and he's more of like a like a trickster. Yeah, he, he likes to be amused. I feel like yeah. yeah. He's a, he's a, like a puck, a trickster character. It's like, you know, in the, the opening, he throws a stick he in the air. He throws a stick in the air and just a goes the way that the stick lands. He's not there because he just wants to make money. He's mm-hmm. there because he doesn't have anywhere else to be. 
and he's like the world brings him where he's needed and he's like called upon when evil people need to be dispatched somewhere that's a good way of looking at it yeah well you watch the sequel and you'll get it a little bit more okay because it's like oh he's just there then okay <laughs> <laughs> he just showed up oh yeah and as far as sequels go we're gonna watch sanjiro because it's excellent yeah but yojimbo's better yeah. okay. but then when you look at a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more even better even though they're both amazing the good the bad and the ugly you're gonna love it danger yeah. mm-hmm heavy we can talk about in yojimbo he goes by let me see if i actually have the full name yeah there it is sanjiro kuobatake so sanjiro means 30 year old <laughs> Uh, Kuobatake, I think, uh, Mulberry Fields. Mulberry Fields, yeah. So, he was just looking out the window. He was just looking out the window. Yeah. But I'm almost he, 40. Yeah, he's, exactly. <laughs> so he goes by this name, but it's very obvious not his real name. And even the person asking, like, are you serious? He's like, it's as good a name as any for how long I'm going to be here. In <laughs> <laughs> and, and the sequel, he goes by Sandro and he, whatever close cropper foliage goes by that and that one. So he's different last name. Yeah. Hey, everybody has a, a weird name in, in Yojimbo. Yeah, such an un-American thing, you know, for people to be named, names to mean to, something, you know. Yeah, it means something. But in other places, you know, less so. Yeah. But like, yeah, I do like Ushitora. Ushitora? Yeah. Because he was born in the year of, year of the bull and came out here, the tiger <laughs> or vice versa or some yeah. shit. And then his brother was like the rabbit or something, the, the Zodiac rabbit or something. Mm. Like that. Mm -hmm. that was our one. villain, our main villain. Oh, he was the rabbit? Okay. Yeah. I don't know what their names mean. I call them Uno and Eno. <laughs> That's easier. Yeah. <laughs> Nameless character. <laughs> and then Clint Eastwood, that character is forever known as the man with no name. Mm -hmm. Even though like they're like, well, he called him Joe. Yeah. He called him Joe like, hey, Joe. Yeah. They're like, oh, maybe they just decided to make him the man with no name. I'm like, well, they did base him off of a movie with a guy that has a fake name. Mm. And only one person calls him by name ever in a fistful of dollars, and it's the crazy coffin yeah. maker. I'm gonna actually go with yeah, that's a nick, that's a nickname that he just like you know wanted. Yeah, to get yeah. And Joe is actually pretty common. Mm -hmm. It's funny, is like I was like, where did Joe? Because I was looking up what is his name. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, it is Joe. It was just the coffin maker who called him Joe. Crazy guy. All right, everybody in Yojimbo is Japanese. Mm -hmm. Even Toshiro Mifune, who was born in uh, Singtao, China. Tiramafuni is the main character. Yep. Yeah. Sanjiro. Ah, he's so good. He's in so many good movies. We're going to watch a few. Like, and a lot of his movies have been like remade into American movies. Mm -hmm. um, Seven Samurai. Really? Yeah. Magnificent Seven. Uh... Actually, a ton of Akira Kurosawa movies have been remade mm -hmm. into American movies. And a lot of them just happen to star Toshiro Mifune. Um, the Mel Gibson movies from the 90s, Ransom. You never seen that one? Mm -mm. That was good. Um, it's based on on High and Low, which is a Kira Kurosawa movie that stars Toshiro Mifune. Okay. Um, Seven Samurai was Magnificent Seven. I think Seven Samurai, like, I think I'd rather watch Magnificent Seven most times, even though neither are in the same level for me as the ones we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. But, like, Seven Samurai, I think, is usually more recognized than Yojimbo, and I'm like, it's a really good movie, but uh, nah. I like I like artists that they put so much work into it, but it doesn't have to be long. Mm -hmm. I mean, Seven Samurai is a bit on the long side. Mm. Sink some of that energy into just making a lush detail. Mm -hmm. mm. 
I think uh, with the Ojimbo and Fistful of Dollars, when we're talking about the main characters, and then we're just talking about the Coffin Maker, they all have a different dynamic in both movies. Like one is more serious, the other one's more, like crazy. The Coffin Maker, and then we should also talk about the the, the difference in the main characters too. Um, what's the bar? Tender guy in Fistful of Dollars name? Silvanito. Silvanito, yeah. Silvanito. And the other one was Gonji, Goji or something like that. Yeah, Gonji, yeah. Yeah. Love Gonji. Love them. Two very different takes. Mm-hmm. Both really good. Um, I'm going to go like, uh, Silvanito's awesome. and he. Yeah, he was good he, too. Right, I th- like, so when all the characters are different, I think that's because like, the way that like you would need them to play off the lead is obviously mm-hmm. different, you know. You got a much more serious take on the lead. Yeah. So Benito's he's gonna be more lighthearted. But I think somebody like as the way that uh Gonji's outspoken. Yeah. It doesn't feel like as like it would mesh as well with the serious character mm-hmm. as it does when it's playing against the comedic aloof samurai, you know? Yeah. Yeah, true, true, true. Um and uh Silvanito, he uh his his uh his character compared uh when he's with joe it's like he's like like an uncle not like an uncle like a good friend like a good friend real good friend was well, because of the the difference in race <laughs> it quickly felt like they had like because he's hispanic and it's a, it's in san miguel so it's, it's, it's supposed to be in san miguel so it's like everyone in there is like latino there's no not too many gringos. Let's get into the race. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, this movie was mainly filmed in Spain. Mm-hmm. We'll get into let's let's backtrack. Let's get into spaghetti westerns. Okay. We never really quite finished that. Mm-hmm. So spaghetti westerns, they westerns were big over in Italy and in Europe, and they're like, you know what? We're gonna start making our own. Most of these were Italian productions, mainly financed by Italian companies. A lot of them were, they were filmed in Spain, a lot of them. Some studio work in, in Italy, and then a lot of the exteriors in Spain, mm-hmm. and some set work in Italy, and, and vice versa. So you're like, oh, so they'll probably have a lot of Italians, a lot of Spanish people. Right. Both. Also, Germans. Yeah. Sure. So, I did see a blue-eyed <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in the Latin group. I'm like, he's not, no. So when filming... I don't know if you caught some of the uh, the the uh, the dubbing done to put in English. Everybody spoke their primary language on set. No way. I was. I didn't. I just thought it was just like an old movie. I was like, ah, it's just. Mm-mm. So it was all dubbed. So Marisol, mm-hmm. if she was speaking something, maybe it'd be Spanish instead of English. Mm-hmm. She's German. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. John Baxter. I believe he's his name's Wolfgang Luxki. <laughs> I'm thinking he might be German too. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It was an inter, it was a it was an international production and had international actors. He got who he wanted, except for the main role. Clint Eastwood is not his even fourth choice. He was trying to get an actor that actually already been in westerns. He wanted um, Henry Fonda. He wanted uh, Charles Bronson. He wanted James Coburn. So wait, Clint Eastwood was he big at this point? TV. What? And he all right. So he was on a show called Rod. Like for the first seven years of out of that show's eight years run, 
he yeah. was not even top tier character on the show. Mm-hmm. And then apparently the final year he had already gotten more famous mm-hmm. because of this. And so the final year he, he got a little bit more into the show. Yeah, no, um, they couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford anybody. It was such a low budget production. He couldn't yeah. afford to get any actor. They, wanted, they didn't want it to be big. But then I was like, but they had Clint Eastwood in it. So no, Clint Eastwood was nobody. That's crazy. He, How old Serge, is he in this? So he's like 34. And we were talking about how he had the sun-dried eyes. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, he looked a little... A little older. raisin eyes. <laughs> no, but apparently, I don't know how he got there so quickly. When he showed up in Italy, mm-hmm. the uh, Sergio Leone, who didn't really know who he was, hadn't watched him on TV. Crazy. I, didn't so like, I think one of the producers suggested him. So he shows up in Italy. Mm-hmm. Sergio Leone looks at him. He's like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> he looks too young. Wow. He thought he looked too young. So he said, he told me better grow a beard and he needs to smoke these cigars. Smoke a cigar. And a little extra Clint Eastwood doesn't smoke. Mm-mm. But it made him look that, get that rugged uh, look of a Western. So yeah. When he's going to do the sequel, like, do I got to smoke those damn cigars? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, he didn't want to, but he even, he admitted that it put him in the right mind frame to play the character because it, it made him, he said it, it made him feel scratchy. Yeah, he uses that in a lot of his other movies, too. Uh, Makes him feel scratchy. (laughs) Which he would. It worked. I want one of those. I was like, ooh, that's that's a good look on it. Nice scruffs. Yeah, a little scruff. I mean, Sandra always had like like a toothpick or some kind of stick in his mouth or something. So Mm -hmm. I think they really kind of were taking it from that. Yeah. And less about, he might have said that, but I feel like he was just stealing more. (laughs) So international, basically, production, low budget. Didn't even have his first choice of actor. That's crazy. And all this somehow made a movie that will be around forever. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. Thing, eh, eh, it happens for a reason. And this Clint Eastwood's big break, I guess. I mean, as far as I, I've never been big on John Wayne movies. Clint Eastwood, if it wasn't for Fistful of Dollars. Oh, that's Maybe. true. <laughs> well, all right. So before we ever started doing this one, you, you and your brother asked me like who my favorite actor was one time. Yeah. And my initial... My initial was Clint Eastwood. And then I thought about it a little bit. I was like, no, Kurt Russell. <laughs> Kurt Russell is Kurt, who I, yeah. Kurt Russell, yeah. I, and well, my, so my favorite Kurt Russell role, he's doing his Clint Eastwood impression the whole time. So it's like, <laughs> All right. Which one is this? Escape from New York. Going to watch that? Yeah, yeah, we'll watch it soon. That's a big one. Yeah, we'll watch that one soon. It, mm-hmm. It's about time. Mm-hmm. I don't know where this is going to play mixed in with all our other movies because we've decided just to mix them up and release them. We recorded them how we felt <laughs> at the time that we we're deciding on movies. Yeah. We're probably going to release them in a way that makes a little bit more sense, mm-hmm. you know, and try to space out some samurai movies and kind of mix it up a bit. Yeah, and in our conversations with each movie, we, we spill into some other, some of the things. We, so hopefully it works. Oh, no, it's going to confuse people. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you'll be like, yeah, that time we recorded for Highlanders. Like, I don't know. When did they do Highlander? <laughs> we did Highlander. You're just not going to hear it. It's coming up. Yeah, well, we're going to redo it. Yeah. We barely made Beverly Hills Cop work, but it works. <laughs> it works. We had to cut out 45 minutes, but it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to that. Off topic. I feel okay this time because yeah. we're not... We usually spend so much time running through the story beat by beat, talking yeah, about what happened. I feel like it, this one is because it, both of them are just like so similar. We just go into the what makes yeah. it work or what makes it different because we're assuming people have already watched this. Yeah. Well, this I mean, I like doing it. I like doing it. 
for the other movies because it really does bring up a lot of details that we might not think about but we don't have time for all that yeah actually i like this relaxed relaxed approach we're doing yeah how about we go over dopest scenes oh i mean both of them had like because it was so much similarities (laughs) at the same scenes they're done very differently (laughs) a lot of crossover though and what's good yeah so i had pretty much well the first one i had was of course the you finally get to see him do his uh do both of them with the with the samurai sword and the gun when it comes to the welcoming of where he goes into town and then he sets his premise by like four coffins or three coffins yeah they oh so (laughs) all right i'm gonna do i'm gonna do this part now i'm gonna i'm gonna break up what we're talking about again so such an obvious copy on so much stuff Mm -hmm. yet it still works but the thing is They never got Akira Kurosawa's permission, and he had no idea about this movie. And then somebody's like, you have to watch this movie once it became huge. Yeah. And he's like, it's an excellent movie, mm-hmm. but it's my movie. <laughs> and you couldn't be more right than that, right? Yeah. So obviously uh, there's legal, legal legal troubles involved. Right. So Akira Kurosawa made so much more money off a of fistful of dollars than he ever made on Yojimba. No way. First cut, yeah. Must be nice. Must be nice. Somebody made some of that stacks for you yeah i, I like it <laughs> and sergio alone didn't really care because he's like it wasn't supposed to get this i wasn't supposed to get this much money back from it anyway they did they thought it like i said man it was like it's supposed to be the it's supposed to be like the one that they kind of made just to kind of take advantage so of everything crazy. that was spent on the one that was supposed to be big in fact actually you, you watch enough spaghetti westerns you'll start recognizing sets mm-hmm like because they'll use the same areas <laughs> same filming location same like mud mortar built uh Ooh, let's talk about sets your jimbo look cold as fuck i mean it was always windy you can it you can actually see their breath in a couple of sh- uh scenes i'm like all right so i'm just gonna throw this out there a lot of people might not know. they think making movies is cush no man making movies is like, you watch enough behind the scene like just some of the shit people go through yeah. to film a scene mm-hmm. and when they actually the what they actually have to go through making movies is hard nah for real like some actors you're like those motherfuckers are crazy let me let me let me, let me give you a little i had a little experience with it not i'm trying to toot my own horn but i was in a nike commercial and it was did we talk about you being in a nike commercial before no no i mean did you tell me i don't know yeah i was on a nike commercial Go on. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, I forgot what the commercial is, but it's a dope commercial, and I got a little uh, spotlight in it. But it was like thirty seconds worth of shooting. Took three days for them to shoot thirty seconds, and this is well. So we had to go through so much different. Well, for one scene, we had this kid running of uh, the football up because I was on the Green Bay Packers and the little kid was on the Denver Broncos. And the kid was running up this like tunnel of just every all these Denver Broncos kids, I mean players, trying to dive at him, and I had to like dive at least seventy times, at least seventy times for thirty <laughs> seconds just to get this scene. And I was hurting, made fifteen grand for thirty seconds, but it was, yeah, it was just the commercials, so movies. I don't, I don't even know if I'm ready for all that <laughs> negativos. But yeah, that was that was a crazy that was a crazy experience. So, fifteen grand for three days. Three days, yeah. My man. Yeah, it was back in 2015, 16. Yeah. 
So it's gone now. <laughs> uh, blew it off. Of course, it was 25, 26 at the time. Spend it on Nikes. Not Nikes. Car. <laughs> it was a Mustang. Solid purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, yo, Jimbo, I was like, yo, the, and the potato he ate, you know what potato I'm talking about. Oh, my about. God. That's that... the hottest potato looking <laughs> potato in the world. And he's actually, you could tell. You could tell it was hot. I'm mm-hmm. like, he's going to put that in his mouth? Yeah, they, no. I can see when they, right when he put it in his mouth, they cut it to a next scene. No. Every single time I'm watching that, I'm like, God damn. Because <laughs> you could tell. It, it's it's steaming. steaming. Like steaming, steaming. Hot. So it, it, that, that's like, oh, my gosh. He's, and, he's, he's good at eating. Yeah. We probably had to do that like twelve times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No. But like, I I felt like because of the, so the the scene in Yojimbo, it's like you could tell it's cold. It's a cold time, but it's like at the same time people are like wearing their. I don't want to say keep saying pajamas because I don't want to offend anybody. Kimonos. Kimonos. Yeah. Uh, kimonos. Uh, it's like. You don't need in in everybody. I was trying to look at everybody's facial expressions to see how cold it was to see if anyone broke. Nobody broke. It was so and it's so crazy that it, that is used in in the main character's kind of character when he comes into the uh to the bar. I mean into the restaurant and then he's like warming up and it's like part of the the scene. The, the environment is part of the scene. Too. Okay, well I'm just getting a little bit of perspective on time frame. Mm-hmm. This is 1961. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this movie is you, basically, except for f- just a few few side characters, in their 30s or better. Yeah, like these people already lived through like World War II. Wow. You yeah. Know, a, a lot of them served. Mm. And I mean, not like places weren't heated to the extent they are now. They were heated by like a lot of homes were like by like a, a stove in the center of the house, with, mm-hmm. you know, a little fire. That was how they heated the house. Yeah. So definitely a certain level of just acclimation and growing up a certain way that like a certain where we're, they were never used to the comfort that we're used to now mm-hmm. even after they made money and everything they weren't used to being as comfortable as we are now on a regular basis right life was harder mm-hmm. acting like samurai was harder mm. there was a it was a tougher generation <laughs> that wind <laughs> <laughs> fuck that wind <laughs> all right so dope scene so you're, yeah no it, Definitely, that's my that's my middle. That's the middle of my list. No, no, I don't even have that part. I just out. went chronic chronologically through the movie. So, dopest. I'm kind of like back and forth, like between the first two I have list here. But when Gonji lays out the town, and they're just opening up shutters here, there, and like just looking around, and he's explaining the dynamic of everybody. Mm. Just the way that it, everything was shot broke down. You're looking through shutters and windows and just seeing, you get views all of this town, you know, and you're, you still got the scenes where you're, there's two scenes going on between inside the window and outside mm-hmm. the window, and you're watching multiple things with that deep focus and just seeing so much going on. But just, I don't know. I just, I really like that. Okay. How it was done. Damn, I got to watch it over again because I do remember that, but I, I want to get the, how you see it. Uh, when Sinjiro saves uh, Nui, you know, the, the Marisol of of Yojimbo yeah, yeah. and the family. Yeah. Just like how he, when he went in and took out everybody with the sword and then the effort he put into destroying, destroying that house, to, house. Make it look like, to make it look like a dozen men did it. Yeah. Like, 
dude has energy. That was like that, he did that in one like that one take to destroy all that. He just went in and was just kicking kicking stuff in. And he was heavy breathing stuff. and huffing and, then and he, puffing. He's and then he comes out and he calms his breathing. Calming the way of the summer. <laughs> so that that one probably my second favorite, but it used to, these used to go in the the exact opposite order, I think, and then the final battle. Yeah, of course, the final battle. Those are those are uh, those are my main three right there. Is uh, the 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 slaughterhouse and the final scene. And you probably have the, the same, basically the same stuff for Fistful. <laughs> yeah. Fistful's mine's a little I, bit. Oh, go ahead. Go with your little bit. Well, it's the, it's the same as you said. It's the first. It's probably my favorite scene of Fistful's. Your, the first one you're mentioning for both. Mm -hmm. But when he first kills Baxter's men to kind of just sh show the town what he's about. Yeah. But the dialogue was was funny and serious in a way that you don't see as much of later, just the playfulness of it. And mm -hmm. they had, uh, when he came into this town, some of Baxter's men, you know, one of the opposing families that we didn't get too much detail, but we can later. They're like, they're trying to punk him when mm -hmm. he's coming into this town. He comes in riding on a burrow, you know? Yeah. And uh, so they, they shoot they shoot at the burrow's feet and it just kind of goes galloping off. And, and uh, he grabs like a, a, a sign, mm -hmm. like, like the top of a sign holder and kind of hops down yeah goes to talk to our uh our man sovenito mm -hmm. and uh yeah, those guys are just talking shit yeah. but when he goes back when he decides what he what his plan is and he's yeah. he's like who's the strongest the rojos the rojos so he's like all right well let's go show them uh what, what i'm going to do to the baxters mm -hmm. so it goes back to baxter's men and they're talking shit about his, his him and his donkey's like oh that's uh that's actually what i came to talk to you guys about <laughs> i mean I know you were probably just joking, but joking. see my my donkey, he he doesn't. <laughs> I'd like you to apologize yeah. to your donkey, and they start laughing, and then he gets serious. I don't think that's very nice. <laughs> laughing at my donkey, and then he fucking throws back the uh, the poncho, the mm -hmm. sarape, and uh, it's the stare down. Mm -hmm. It goes from him being funny. To pick a fight and then pick in the fight. And that music in the background is like that tense, when is it going to happen? It's like a long, It when that music comes out, it's like a long little drag out. Okay, so that's how like actually a lot, a lot of people will describe Sergio Leone's style. Mm -hmm. He'll take what could potentially be like a 15 second scene in an American movie and draw it out, draw it out for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And it not a lot of people. so much too. Yeah. So, like, his movies aren't that long. I mean, good about the ugly, and they get longer. But it doesn't, like, when when you're that good at building tension, it doesn't feel like as long, well, it doesn't feel like time's actually passing. Mm. It feels like a long time, but it doesn't feel good like time. It doesn't feel like time's passing. You're just, no. like, stuck with yeah, it. Yeah, you're just stuck. Mm -hmm. And the, the scene would not have nearly the same impact if they just, everything was quick. Yeah, so like, really. So it's definitely a style that he mastered, and he obviously had the touch early on. Because mm -hmm. he knew what he was doing. Great, great usage too. Um, that that was a dope scene, but also in Fistful of Dollars, another dope scene that I felt was a good one. It was the exchange. Mm. Yeah, it was because uh, in and even in uh, Yojimbo, both of them had that where you see the reason why they stay and want to stick mm -hmm. it out was because of the the kid. They did all right. So. What Yojimbo did better was the kid wasn't as annoying. No, like the, the kid, little no. kid's voice. 
every time I hear the kid's voice in A Fistful of Dollars, yes. it takes me it takes me out of it. Thank you, because it's horrible. Yeah, like it's the, horrible. the the overdub, the English dub was so bad. Yeah, it was bad. But I actually that's one of the scenes that I I it's not as funny because they they did it. It was pretty funny in Yojimbo the way they did the exchange, the double exchange. Yeah, this one they cut it down to one exchange, mm-hmm. and they they did it in a completely different way of how they came across. I liked that. I will actually, I will, the exchange, I think they did better overall. In yeah. A fistful of dollars. Yeah. It Cause was. It, was, it was definitely more, much more dramatic. Yeah, it was. And it, um, yeah, because the dynamics in, in, uh, the Baxters and the Rojos with that exchange, it was like, they could have killed each other right there or the Rojos could have straight slaughtered them right there. I feel like the Rojos were always the ones, the aggressors. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. But the reason that it didn't happen and it was so obvious that it didn't happen in a fistful of dollars was because our our man was there. Mhm. And they have a little respect for him because they know his that he's a gunslinger and he's well, he's nobody's as fast as mm-hmm. him. He's yeah. fast, he's accurate. He scares them. Yeah. That's why it was so cool like cuz they the Rojo sent one of their dudes over to kill Marisol's family. Marisol and then Nui, the Japanese version. So there's this woman in the mix. Mm-hmm. And she's got a family that she's been taken away from for, you know, similar reasons, but not entirely the same. Yeah. And she's just, they're inter- integral to the plot. But Rojo sends one of his dudes over. Who I'm pretty, that's the dude that they sent over is actually like one of the stunt coordinators. <laughs> he was in the other movies too, I think. Wasn't Chico. No, was... whatever that blonde looking dude is. The white. Yeah, yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. Okay. I think he was Spanish though. <laughs> Looks <laughs> He's white as German. Hell. <laughs> he looks German. Exactly. I think. Um, he's he's Hitler's German. Yeah. So they send him over, and he's gonna he's about to shoot Marisol's family because they were told multiple times to stay away. Yeah. And then Silvanito, he's he's not having it. Mm-hmm. He goes in, gets his shotgun, and he's like, and the uh, let him be. Yeah. So, dude's gonna pull on Silvanito, and just the way Clint is leaning up against the wall. But as soon as he thinks that that guy is going to fucking do anything to his buddy, pops right up and like a very, I don't know why it looks so cowboy to me when he pops up off the wall. Yeah. Like just leans forward like, mm-hmm. and just him standing up was yeah. enough to like make that guy put his hand far away from his revolver where she was already by. He's like, yeah. I'm not even, not even attempting it. Yeah. That was good. That was, and, that's, that's, that's why it was a dope scene. Yeah. No, that, that one, I've, I should have mentioned that one. That's actually <laughs> one of my favorites too. So like. He's still at, got everything at play there. He doesn't know what he's going to do, but he's like, he knows that it's going to be a problem if those, if they don't move along. Mm-hmm. So he tells, you know, he tells uh, Marisol's husband to get the kid get and get, get out, out of here. There. Yeah. He saved everybody's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a dope scene because it, it plays out early, later in the movie why he's, why he's wanting to do all this and pretty much rid the town of all this, see it through. See, see this whole thing through in this town, trying to get these bosses to kill each other or whatever. I mean, that was always kind of the plan, but initially... It was about the really, money. It was about the money. Yeah. But he's like, they're asked, so when he does save the family, they're like, why? Because mm-hmm. he once knew a woman in a similar situation and there wasn't anybody to save her. That was that was good. We don't know. Was that his mom? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But he saved him. Yeah. He, that was his first heroic act. Yeah. And I mean, you watch the uh, the sequels. I mean, he, he does some, definitely has some moments about him, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like he does. He's not soulless. Yeah. And he his priority is is usually the money, though. And he, mm-hmm. that's like his first 
I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to think of another situation where he truly goes out of his way. You know, he might be tough and not rat on somebody, but when he truly goes out of his way to save somebody, I think. Yeah. Um, in Fistful of Dollars, he, I felt like it was that point where the kid was crying and he was looking at the kid and it was like this, it, it was like the camera was like slowly zooming in on him and he was like, okay. In Yojimbo, it was more of the dad, wasn't it? It's like cure. He built a hut next to the house. <laughs> the way they described that, what Tokyo was doing to his wife. So, the, what happened is uh, the the dad of this family of Marisol and Nui he lost a in fistful of dollars. They said he was cheating at cards. Ramon cheated in his cards, and used his wife as collateral. Yeah, which he wasn't actually doing. Yeah. In in your jimbo he actually did lose at cards yeah but it was originally supposed to be the house but because toku was like drooling over his wife mm -hmm. he ushi used that as a way to gain his alliance by hey, giving me the house and the wife mm -hmm. and I don't... oh good and then and it was a way to get him because uh i've let me make sure i have the right one because there's two of them there's the silk maker and then there's the, the, the sake, sake maker, maker. And Sak the Saki Maker, I think his name is Tokumon. And yeah, Tok Tokumon. Yeah, and Tokumon had a thing for this guy's wife. And since he already had lost the house and he was drooling over it during this time, he'd like, let me get your wife too. Yeah, and he, that's exactly what happened. And it he built, and then the hus husband, instead of leaving like he was supposed to, he built this hut right next to the house of his wife and Tokyo. Which he can hear his, he's like, and he, he just sits there and listens, listens to, to his, his wife, wife getting ravaged. To, yeah, ravaged by Toku every day. I'm like, and that's what I felt like got our, our Sanjudo, Sanjudo, uh, in a way like, we got, nah. Yeah, it sped up his time. This is here. a man, yeah. This, this, this is not the way a man's supposed to be, it's like what I felt. Those are dope scenes. More fistful of dollars in that one uh, than Yojimbo's exchange, but both of them pretty. And then pretty important. All the final battles for <laughs> when he has Ramon. Heavy. Yeah, when he lets Ramon, um, he throws his gun and lets yeah. Ramon try to load up on him and see who's faster. You said uh, you said uh, when a man with a forty-five goes against a man with a rifle, the man with the forty-five dies. Mm -hmm. Let's test that theory. That was. Throws his gun. They both load up and see who can pull the trigger first, and it is Clint. <laughs> yep. There's there's some there's some after dopest the, right when you see dopest scenes, you actually see all the ingredients that they should never have put in. There. <laughs> yeah. There's some key ingredients, and then there's like things they should definitely have left out during these dopest scenes. Some of these dopest scenes. Mm -hmm. I think I, I almost remade. I can't. Uh, in my head, maybe I remade. I renamed some of these uh, categories a little bit. Figure that out later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but the uh, definitely Akira Kurosawa, mm -hmm. definitely Sergio Leone, mm -hmm. definitely Toshiro Mufu. All right, so if you did, if you got rid of either director or either star, it's a completely different movie. Yeah, Heavy. the characters, hundred percent, both equally. Mm -hmm. The actors own. They made they made each their own. In fact, Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. He said, like, he went through and he was taken out. Like, he was just drawing lines through his dialogue because he thought the guy was too talkative and not, like, you know, not rough and kind of, like, mysterious, mysterious. enough. Mm -hmm. So he was killing his own dialogue, which, you know, a lot of actors will fight to put was more dialogue in. Clint? Clint. 
Okay. He cut a bunch of his own wow. dialogue out because he thought that it suited the character best not to be so talkative. Well, he's what he's from. <laughs> he knows what westerns are, are supposed to be like, so it, it it makes sense that he would be the one to take care of that part. And he, he each movie he got a little bit more like that too. Oh, really? No, I mean he brought a lot to his character. I mean, those were his boots. Those were his jeans. Really? That was his uh, gun, basically. I don't know if it was, he brought the full gun or just the grips. And Dang, so he's this is his movie. Like this was the character, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that was his gun belt that he brought from Rawhide too. But <laughs> the maker of the gun belt also made like all the other hero belts and everything. Because Sergio Leone apparently went to I don't know if it was in this movie. That's what I read it was, but maybe it was later. But he went to go see. Uh, I'm gonna have a hard time remember his name, but he. Um, he made a bunch of holsters for westerns. This actually like a it was like a fast draw style holster, for uh, and he kind of canted it at an angle, mm. made a steel line for because fast draw competitions were kind of taken off. So it's like he, okay. he, he made it for competition. Like he designed his own style of holster, and that's what was used in all of Sergio Leone's movies. Crazy. Yeah, so it was a fucking cool holster though. Yeah. All of that was uh, Clint's. Mm-hmm. There's conflicting stories between him and Sergio Leone on whose idea the Serape slash Poncho was. <laughs> it it was a good touch though. Mm-hmm. Especially at the end when he revealed the the the, bra- the brass plate. Yeah, and the iron. Iron. Yeah. Blue, uh, and then they, they stole that for lots of stuff, but like the best about Back to the Future two, three. He did. So in Back to the Future two and three were filmed back to back. In Back to the Future two, Biff is watching. Uh, fistful of dollars and he's like all, he's like being obnoxious in his hot tub yelling at the tv like how great it was mm-hmm. and that marty walks in on him so in back to future three when they're in the old west marty steals that idea in fact actually i was wanted to talk about the scene anyway which is also part of the is so dope and it's so it's part of the uh the final battle clint eastwood because ramon has a rifle and he wants to get close enough to ramon where he could take him on with his 45 right invents the bulletproof vest he cuts a piece of iron out and wears it as a breastplate so he's like he's like aim for the heart ramon your own words you gotta <laughs> if you want to take somebody hit him in the heart so he kept getting shot near the heart yeah and it's not taking him out and as soon as he gets close enough and ramon like you know friends out of bullets yeah he's like uh lets it go lets it lets it drop and then everybody's gonna draw on him and he handily shoots the gun out of ramon's hand and shoots everybody, shoots everybody else, else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then he's got to reload yeah. and then he has a little duel with Ramon who can load fast and shoot now that was tough and it was it was very cool the way they decided to do it because like it's not nearly as interesting as Yojimbo where it's the man with the sword against the man with the revolver Yeah, which is like, a, a way harder fight yeah. and it's the the whole saying goes don't bring a knife to a gunfight Sandro does. <laughs> well, well, he, well, all right. So when after the after they get the shit beat out of him and they're just like, they got like a like a two year beating. Like honestly, they're not healing up for months and months and months no. after the beatings they took. Yeah. And uh, so when the man with no name Clint is practicing is getting his 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 gun hand strong again, and his 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 slapping hand for fanning <laughs> fanning the hammer. Yeah. Like, cause they, they, they're stomping on it. Mm-hmm. Once, so once he was getting his strength, he was getting better and stable and shooting. Well, the Ojimpo's version of him, 
there's like a little leaf that he's letting blow around his little shack, and he's he's throwing a knife at the leaf. Yeah, you know, he's just tossing the knife. You know, sword doesn't have very good range, but if you throw a knife, you get a little, you gain some. Yeah, but his version of a bulletproof vest was to run in at an angle, and when um, when Iniche or whatever, which one for um, fistful dollars? No, uh, Inosuke. Uh, Uno, yeah, Unosuke. <laughs> so yeah, so when he comes running at him and he and he pulls to shoot at him, he throws the knife and gets him in the forearm. Got yeah, and then he go then he goes quick slice to his side and then goes after everybody else and takes mm. out all of them. Yeah, that was the knife is a lot harder than. Yep, definitely, and the uh, with the fistful of dollars, like he could have shot him in the head. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he he was known for shooting in the heart. That was what he mm-hmm. was. Ramon was known for. So he used that. He used it against him. Yeah. That's why Ramon's. He's like, I don't like the Americano. He's too smart. Yeah. To be some you know two bit thug. Mm. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that he, was, was, he was smarter. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just didn't like how in Yojimbo, freaking. The brother took forever to die. It was like, oh, who's talking now? What's oh, the same guy? <laughs> it was funny though. It's it was like dumb. a blood of put. He's had it bled out by then, and then after a while, it's like you forget, and then he's talking again. He's like, uh, uh, he's still alive. <laughs> it's been normally. I wa- we watch the movies. Like I'll I'll do my final watch the night before we do it. Mm-hmm. But it's two movies, mm-hmm. so I did my final watch of. It would have been two nights prior to where I watched the gym, the gym the last time, but we didn't record last night. So it's been like three nights since I watched it. I'm, when, I'm always fine. Like normally I wouldn't find stuff, but when we're doing it for a podcast, I do usually find something that I'm like, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm a hard time remembering what it was for Yojimbo. I should have, I don't write stuff down while I'm watching movies. I'm watching movies. <laughs> <laughs> so it usually just comes to me when we're talking. I was like, what? But there's something about Yojimbo. I was like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but mainly it was the little kid's voice in Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, Fistful of Dollars. That was like an unnecessary ingredient. Mm, uh, I think I mean, had... it's a whole, honestly, though, like the cinematography in Yojimbo, for me, just because like it's my favorite, like that is up there with like, every, like everything else. And then the music for both of them, it's the music. I mean, they and don't get me wrong, like Fistful of Dollars had good cinematography, but like it's next level. Mm-hmm. And, in uh, Yojimbo, because after Yojimbo, like they quickly made Sanjuro, yeah. the sequel, which was originally going to be a different samurai movie that Akira Kurosawa was developing, but then Yojimbo became a big enough hit. They're like, you know what? Let's just we liked it. this character yeah. was fun to work with, so let's do it again. Yeah. So they turned it into a uh, a sequel. And uh, it's another village he just randomly went to. <laughs> this one is more of a traditional samurai movie, like instead uh-huh. of, so instead of being like a little. A little uh, outskirt town, you know, a trading post kind of town. It was an actual uh, samurai village. Oh, okay. And uh, and we'll watch it, but like the assistant cinematographer for Sanjuro, and they mm. used to actually end up using a lot of his shots. And uh, so they, that became his primary that he used a lot from then. And I mean, he's good, but just all the lighting design like that they had to do for Sanjuro, like it was not period proper because they use very they use very hard lighting mm. you know like bright lights to create a lot of the contrast you know okay. and, and shadows yeah where it's like it none of that would look like that you know 
Yeah. Okay. So it's like, <laughs> it, but it looked great. Yeah. And so I just, I think they'd like peak form black and white cinematography. Okay. Especially for, especially so for Samurai. So is, is all his movies that are based off the Yojimbo is, are they black and white too? Does he keep that through, through and through? Oh, are you talking about the sequel? Mm-hmm. He only had one, and yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. But oh yeah, a lot of he did he did he did some color movies, but he did a lot of black and white. Okay. But he did right like high and low was it was in color and it was it. No wait, now my by the time remember, was high and low in color. I'm remembering it in color, but whatever. Hmm. Yeah, you know he did, he did a lot of uh, black and white movies, but okay. he also did some color. Uh-huh. Man. So are we on in this area gradients, or are we past that? Um, what do you got? <laughs> I just remember the the Gatlick gun, oh, not uh, having no no bullet holes. No, okay, so no that that. So come on now, it's like it's not. I know so, it's old, but well, it's like well they can't have it be that violent. Like that was that would get like an NC seventeen rating basically. Ever they, they, you know, the beatdown that they're giving him, they, they were told to cut more of that. Oh, what? Like just the beatdown and the laughing. I, I forget that it was like the, it, it was back in the day, dude. Yeah, and a lot of things take time for people to get used to seeing all, especially when it comes to. But movies. it was so. But the thing is, it was so slow. Mm-hmm. Like it's a Gatling gun, and like just like a lot of the action of that scene when he's taking out all those troops is just like everything's so slow. Like the way they're falling, like the way he's moving. <laughs> and then the exa- the exaggerations of some of the the deaths. It's... <laughs> I will say that's probably the weakest action scene of the whole exactly. movie. So yeah, I'm gonna go with yes on that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. that's a good. That's a good. That's a good call. Uh, should it be remade? <laughs> Fuck! It already was. And yeah. Then, so they made an. There. There's been more. And all right. So you know, we've talked about this movie multiple times. But uh, uh, Takashi Miike, the director of Thirteen Assassins. Mm-hmm. So I've talked about uh, Sukiyaki Western Django, which is a Japanese Western, filmed in Japan, all Japanese cast except for Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, all in English, with Quentin Tarantino be the only person that actually had English as a first language. Really? It, 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 like so much is spelled. It's such but a weird movie. It wasn't but, dubbed, huh? It wasn't dubbed or anything. No, they're actually speaking English. Wow. And it's, it's some of it's pretty bad, but it was intentional. Like he, he wanted them to sound weird. Okay. But same kind of the same gist but it was on purpose like it was supposed to be like an homage but that's like it's a very common story but as far as a actual remake that's very close in telling um last man standing with bruce willis 90s um i think i've i don't i don't don't it's not it's not very good Mm. um i think if I, i remember it having really good like costume design it was like a prohibition era movie you know uh-huh. So like good costume design. I thought it was always cool, like when he's dual wielding uh, Colt 1911s, you know. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's compared to these, pretty whack. So think... no, no more remakes. <laughs> oh, so let it die. <laughs> let. Yeah, no, I'd rather enjoy these like they are because I mean, yeah. there's two iconic roles. It's a fluke that you're able to have, like especially mm-hmm. like, just back to back, and then everything work out so well for each one. Yeah. I mean, you could yeah, attempt. I love I love the Ojimbo. Like, I would say it's better than uh, Thirteen Assassins, which I was my favorite. Thirteen mm-hmm. Assassins is my favorite, and Yojimbo. Oh, Thirteen Assassins is up there for me. It's like second. Mm-hmm. The, 
Sometimes it might be Ty, but you're like, no. But I like the quotes in 13 Assassins more, cause you, but I like the comedy in Yojimbo, because I laugh my ass off in Yojimbo. Yeah, no, I mean, 13 Assassins is the best samurai action movie mm-hmm. ever made. Yeah. This is the best samurai comedy movie ever mm-hmm. made. Yeah. But this, yeah. Is a, this is fucking as yeah. classic as it gets, yeah. man. But no, ooh, 13 Assassins is so good, though. Mm-hmm. Can't beat it. But... Yojimbo is up there. It's probably number one in samurai comedy, but 13 Assassin is my favorite samurai. I'm going to give it 13 Assassin. I fucking love these movies. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do more. <laughs> you know, I don't think we should wait too long before we hit up some of the sequels of them. Let's do it. Okay. Should we do a palate cleanser for, of like a comedy or something, or you think we should go right in? Right in. All right. Oh, the next one of a, your, after your Jimbo? Well, I mean, that is a comedy. You want to do For a Few Dollars More or Sanjuro? Sanjuro. Okay. We'll have to find where. I think it's if on it my, works. Yeah, we'll, we'll see where to watch it. Okay. I have it on. I have it at home. <clears throat> but I think I have it. So I think it's. it might be on HBO, too. Ooh, perfect. That's where you guys can see your Jimbo is um, yeah. HBO Max. HBO Max or uh, Criterion Channel. So if you don't, if you all right. So if I didn't have HBO Max and I was trying to get some classics in, I would definitely opt for Criterion Channel. Mm. Okay. I talked about it before. Criterion Channel is so good, but it's like I have so many of the movies already, Mm -hmm. and I was like watching movies I owned just while I'm up here. Like, (laughs) oh, I can stream this now. (laughs) So easy, so available. Yeah. Well, then there's a lot of crossover with HBO Max, which I get for free because of AT and T. So I'm like, well, everybody canceled this for a bit. I, I got the free trial just so I can uh, play with HBO Max a little bit more. But, yeah. Um, Fistful Dollars, however, is on Amazon Prime. It is. Is so it is Voodoo, for... too? It's Tubi. No, it's not Tubi. No, I have it on Voodoo because uh, mm-hmm. I own it. Okay, yeah. Like That's I said, I've Voodoo had too many versions. <laughs> I've had straight up every single version of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly that's been released since the 90s. For real? Well, in America. Hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, that good, huh? Well, each one's hilarious. So, like, the the latest one. Can I? Go ahead. Well, it's like the latest one. It's like they, they finally, they came out with a closer, like, reproduction of, like, the the United, the U.S. cut, mm-hmm. which was shorter and more in line with what I actually grew up watching at first. And then eventually they're like, oh, we're going to give people what they want. We're going to give them this long cut. It's like. Nobody asked for this shit. <laughs> and I gotta watch the old like it seems like every time like every time they come out with a new version of the of the cut now, it's like did they add another scene with this old fucker talking? <laughs> like that like it just it just drags and so it just drags in like three parts and it's always what they add to it. So can you like, watch I, can you watch Good Bag and Ugly by itself without watching any of the other ones? Yeah. You watch it. You watch alright, so he's like, It's not a trilogy. You watch any of them without watching any of the other ones. Because it's like none of the stories are really tied together. Mm-hmm. I mean, all right. So fit for a few dollars more, it's a sequel. Honestly, the good, the bad, and the ugly is a prequel. That's it dope. takes place. Yeah, it takes place at least like um, eight, nine years before. Okay. Just because time periods. But honestly, I I always watch them in order. Oh. Like I just I don't know. This feels like you're getting you're gaining on like quality each time. So it's like I like to watch it. Like you know. Well, and then you can see Clint's 
hands more hands on after in each movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then it works. Yeah, it, chronologically they're not in order, but they def, they definitely work that way. Cool. Man, yeah, man. Any, anything we didn't cover? Ooh, that's like a, considering we talked about two movies, I think we fucking trimmed our like time one. down. I like this one a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we told people they could watch it. All right, so. With the legacy? Ooh, legacy. Mm-hmm. What do you th- right, what's the film's legacy, you think? I think it's a, just Akira, and it, mostly just like directors who, Akira Kurosawa's like cinematography and how much it impacted other directors like spaghetti westerns and things like that i think that was his his legacy will always be his how his in, to detail to everything he does in, in, the, in the movie yeah. i know and i love that fully agree mm-hmm. i'll say like i mean so it's my favorite akira kurosawa movie it's my favorite samurai movie it's my favorite toshiro mifune movie but honestly like you know Jimbo's biggest legacy is like it launched the careers of if this movie wasn't made, you don't have you don't have the world you don't have Clint Eastwood Mm-mm. in any Ooh, way like man so you deep. don't have like Sergio Leone he has influenced so many people like you would have literally Tarantino yeah exactly you don't have Tarantino oh my gosh remember when I said things would start connecting a bit more for you as you watch more of this so we watched Kill Bill Volume One and Two you starting to get goosebumps yeah. You're starting to get into, uh, mm. starting to get into some Tarantino. You're starting to get some other stuff. Yojimbo, without Yojimbo, we don't have any of that. No, we don't have Clint Eastwood's career, which is he. All right, so he barely got beat out by Kurt Russell as my favorite actor, but he is guaranteed my favorite actor director. You don't have Grant without the career that he had because of this movie. You he don't have Grant Reno. Yeah, you don't have Unforgiven. He's been in so many amazing movies, but he would have never been as famous as he is now without the opportunity to do, create this character that became so iconic. That is a legacy for he's the most, sure. He's the most recognizable um, cowboy get-up in all of movies. He, this movie has the most recognizable like music in all of cowboy movies. Yeah, it's got recognizable lines. Everything about like it's yeah. it has been imitated ever since, and with. None of that happens without Yojimbo first. Mm. So it's like... Good point. So on a very personal level, as well as everything it did for the world, like... That it's a butterfly changed, effect. <laughs> yeah, it changed It changed movies. Mm. Like, it, it, the DNA could be seen all through. But like at a very personal level, like, yeah, like everything I love, I like with going traveling backwards in time, looking at stuff like you could see the this movie's like Yojimbo's effect that kind of went through everything, you know. Yeah. And this is like, so yeah, I don't appreciate movies or love movies in nearly the same way without everything that happened because of the, that movie. That's perfect. Yeah, we we that's that's for sure mind blowing to to know how it's a domino effect of so many people's careers. Uma Thurman. <laughs> Come on. Well, yeah, no. Uma Thurman's career isn't the same without Tarantino. No, it's not. And vice versa. Tarantino's mm-hmm. career isn't the same without Uma Thurman. We're going mean, to make made, it would, on that one. Yeah, that he would have made a lot of stuff, but like he, she was his muse, man. That's where Kill Bills came from. Kind of. Yeah. I'm glad we guys did that before we did this. <laughs> No, that's why I'm telling you, man, sometimes it's better to work backwards. Yeah. 
it means more when you see the connections. It does. Shout outs to Akira Kurosawa. I will always remember that name now. Yeah. Normally we get into more of the nuts and bolts of like the directors and the actors, but we can do that on the sequels and everything too, because this one is more about like just talking about how, how great these two are together. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, follow us on whatever social media you're into. <laughs> By then we should probably have something posted. Um, yep. If you didn't like the way we did this one, cause we did it even looser than normal. Um, let us know. It's already done though. No, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it though. It was good. I no, I liked it. Felt a little bit more like relaxed. Yeah. Let us know how you guys feel about this one compared to everyone else or what you guys' thoughts are. In the meantime, stay golden. Peace.